I'm thrilled that you get to hear from a friend of mine, Rob Wagner. So as he comes up, we're going to do our, our like title bumper reel of the series called Suit Up. It's really cool. It speaks to the gravitas of this, uh, the gravity of this thing, but it's also like kind of low, low energy. And so as it's playing in its low energiness, Rob will be coming up and you and I get to bring the energy and just go crazy and give him a heartland welcome. Can you do that? All right. Can you do that? Are we going to do that? Great. Okay. Please welcome Rob Wagner. Thanks for being with us today. Good morning. Uh, it really is an honor and privilege to be a part of your family gathering this morning. Uh, I have such a deep affection for you as a faith community and especially for your leadership team. You need to know as we've been launching the underground, I feel like our biggest cheerleaders have been Jay Cole, Dan Diebel, and Craig. They have just been texting me phone calls, supporting us, and, and I know that's an extension of the heart of this community, which is a heart of generosity and faith. So it's great to be with you this morning. And then when I found out I get to talk about this topic in particular, I was really lit up because I've been working on this personal project for about a year and a half, and I've been sitting inside of the book of Ephesians, kind of like a hot tub that you just sort of sink down into. And then they told me, I get to do Ephesians 6, and I was like, yes! And then I had a flashback that took me all the way back to my childhood, to the church that I grew up in. Now, I grew up on the south side of Chicago. I was a child of the 70s, and I grew up in an old school church. Did anyone else go to an old school church growing up? Right? It's not like this. Like, for example... In the church that I grew up in, we didn't have this immersive worship experience with incredible instruments and, and really helpful worship leaders. We had a choir of people who couldn't sing on the note. That's what we had. And they would actually sit behind the pastor through the whole message. So if you're hyperactive like me, it was the most distracting thing ever. And there was this one guy in particular, Mr. Flaws was his name, Ed Flaws. And he would regularly just fall asleep during the message. <laughs> and one Sunday morning, he started snoring at 110 decibels, like. <laughs> That's a very helpful worship experience right there. Yeah. But another part of my old school church experience was Sunday school. And this is where Ephesians 6 comes in. And in old school Sunday school, there was, these, there was this amazing arsenal of AV equipment, audiovisual equipment. And one of them was called the overhead projector. That was mind-blowing. But there was another piece of AV equipment that was absolutely my favorite. dun 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 Look at it. It's like suspending gravity. It just floats up there in 1080. And there was two. Now, if you're new 
to this whole church thing, and you didn't grow up in old school church, basically what flannel graph is, is there's this piece of flannel, you can see it, and then other pieces of flannel that somehow they got an image on, and it becomes this captivating visual way of telling the story. It's about one frame per hour. <laughs> but I loved it. And I had two lessons in particular that were my favorite with flannel graph. One was David and Goliath. Are you with me? Because it had like swords and slings and cool stuff like decapitation. I loved that story. And then the other favorite story for me was Ephesians 6, the armor of God. And here's why. Because the teacher would gather us all around, and then she would open up the Bible. Would you like to just go through Sunday school class with me? All right. She would open up the passage, and she'd read this. Put on the full armor of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And right at this point, little Robbie Wagner's like, get on with it. I, I want to see the armor on Skirt Man. Let's go, you know. <laughs> and then she keep reading. Therefore, put on the full armor of God. So when the day of evil comes, you may be able to stand your ground. And after you've done everything, to stand. And then she would begin to walk through the armor. And, uh, and this was great because it was interactive. She would look for volunteers. And she would say, so who would like to put on the belt of truth? Oh, 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 oh. And if you were lucky, hashtag blessed, she would let you come up. And you would get to pick the belt of truth, which oddly also looks like a skirt. And then place this on Kilt Man. And it's like, there's the belt of truth. And then she would say, who wants to put on the breastplate of righteousness? Someone else would be like, please, please. And then you'd come and grab the breastplate and you'd get to put that again on Skirt Man. And she began to piece the armor together. Here the feet fitted with the gospel, right? The readiness comes from the gospel of peace. You think Air Jordans are cool? Check those out. Those are amazing. And that's actually the process you've been through the last four or five weeks. You've been watching the individual pieces of armor come together on the body of Christ. And as a young kid, I love this. I love this imagery of this you know, single lone warrior suiting up like Batman, putting on the armor and getting to run headlong into the battle. And that was sort of the default image for the armor of God, is it not? There's an there's a individual who's put on this armor and now they're ready for battle. The only problem is, however, that is the exact wrong way to read this passage. This idea that it's about an individual running into battle with armor on, it's the exact wrong way to read the passage. See, underneath here, there's a couple clues underneath that we need to pay close attention that are easy to miss on the surface. So underneath the English and the ancient Greek, there's something interesting going on with what's called the genitives. So I know you got up this morning and you said to yourself, oh, it's a great day. I can't wait to learn more about this ancient Greek case called the genitives. Okay, worst case scenario, 
Good potential baby name, genitive. Think about it. Could be genie, could be gene, it could work, right? But just stay with me just for a minute because there's a payoff for this. It's actually in this passage, the subjective genitive is being used. And in the Greek, that's when a noun is also functioning as a verb. In other words, the armor of God is a noun, but it's also a verb. In other words, the belt of truth is a noun, but it's also a verb. The, the breastplate of righteousness, it's, it's a noun, but it's also a verb. In other words, each piece of armor is a, a call to a specific type of action. But here's the kicker. It's something that can only happen in community. So first of all, the belt of truth isn't just a theological, esoteric idea of the truth. It actually means, no, we need to speak the truth to one another in love. In other words, it's not something I can actually do as an individual. It's something I have to do in community. And see, that's what's profound. When we read this passage, we read it through the 21st century lens of individualism. And we tend to think of it as me, the lone warrior. But if you look at the context, the book of Ephesians is written to a community of believers. And in Ephesians 1 and Ephesians 4, we are called the body of Christ. Paul is inviting us into this communal way of life. And so the armor of God you've been learning aren't just ideas. They're actions, and they can only be lived out in community. And see, Paul is saying, wake up, because we live in a world at war. And you don't want to be like a family who's having a picnic lunch on Normandy Beach. You want to understand that behind what is seen, there's an unseen battle happening. And we feel that in our world. We see the brokenness around us the 249th mass shooting this year. And we have this sense that there's something going on that's more than just merely human effort and evil. And the Bible tells us there is something else going on. There is actually demonic evil. There are spiritual forces that are intelligent and sinister, working alongside human evil to try to amplify it, to multiply it. And see, what the enemy would love to do is to get us thinking that that battle is something we fight as a brave individual with the armor on going forth. Freedom! See, because what the enemy wants to do is actually peel us off as an individual and isolate us and then take us down. Or you know what the other thing the enemy wants to do is infiltrate the camp and cause disunity among us. So we end up fighting each other rather than fighting them. And see, the enemy wants you to see the armor of God as an individual, that you're going to put it on and you're going to go to war alone. But if you approach it that way, you are done for. So back to the flannel graph. You know what a better image is than an individual? A better image is this, a circle of people who are locking arms with one another. and, And they're building a spiritual extended family around Jesus. And together, as they live into the belt of truth and speak the truth over one another in love, that's actually how they live into the shield of faith, or rather the belt of truth. 
or when they are living together in community like a spiritual extended family, that's how you actually experience the breastplate of righteousness. And today, we're going to pick up right here with this bad boy, the shield of faith. The shield of faith. And I want to show you what it looks like when the armor of God, the belt of truth, and the breastplate of righteousness, and the, the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace and the shield of faith, what it looks like when a community is living out those actions together. And I want to tell you a story from my neighborhood. Again, uh, Dan mentioned, uh, I'm on point in something called the Kansas City Underground. And we are this network of microchurches. And you're like, what's a microchurch? Well, it's a spiritual extended family that's led by an ordinary person or people. And they live in every day what we call gospel community. They're living out the armor of God together. They speak the truth and love to one another. They practice right living with one another. They're peacemaking with one another, reconciling relationships. They're, they're making the gospel tangible in their relationships. And we want to see these microchurches fill every neighborhood and network in Kansas City. So my wife and I are part of a microchurch that's in our neighborhood. And uh, we moved to our neighborhood about five years ago. And over the last five years, this community has emerged. And it's changed the culture of our neighborhood. Uh, just over a year ago, a young couple moved in, in their early 20s, uh, and they are about six houses down, and they got invited uh, to a party from one of the folks that's a part of our microchurch, and they came over to the party. You could tell they had a great time. They stayed till everybody else had left, and they were sitting at the kitchen table, and I could tell they had a question they wanted to ask or something they wanted to find out. And finally, uh, she worked up enough courage to ask a question. And she said, okay, I know we've only been in this neighborhood maybe four weeks or five weeks at the time. But she said, you know you hear about neighborhoods in the 40s and 50s where everybody knew each other and it was like one big happy family and you raised the kids together. She's like, I feel like we got in a time machine and moved into one of those neighborhoods. How, uh, was it like this when you guys moved in? And I explained to her, no, actually it wasn't. When we moved in five years ago, community in the neighborhood was that courtesy wave that you give the neighbor on the way out. And most of us didn't know the names of our neighbors two houses down. And she's like, well, how did it get this way? And I prayed quietly to myself. And I felt like Jesus gave me something to say. I said, well, there's a group of us here. And we think Jesus is the smartest man who ever lived. And when he said, love your neighbor as yourself, get this, we think he meant your actual neighbor, like the person you live by. And she laughed just like you did. She's like, yeah, I get it. Like, it's not a metaphor. Like, it's your real neighbor. I said, exactly. So we're just trying to treat each other like family. And we've been living deeper into that. And she said, that is so cool. When's the next party? <laughs> and they've been party people, you know, for the whole year. And you may be wondering, well, how does that happen? Well, we live out what we call the bless rhythms. And bless is actually an acrostic for five Habits of good neighbors or five habits of servant, humble missionaries. And the word bless, we get that from Genesis 12 where God gives us our mission. He says, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to give you unmerited grace and favor and unconditional love. I will bless you and then you will be a blessing. In other words, converting people and changing people, that's above our pay grade. That's what Jesus does. 
Our job is to join Jesus by blessing people. So we've made the word blessed into this simple acrostic. The B stands for begin in prayer. Simply just start praying for your neighbors. Get to know their names and pray for them by name when you're spending time alone with Jesus each day. And then when they have a need, offer to pray for them. Pray for and with them too. And then the L stands for listen and engage. In other words, in your neighborhood, start listening to the story of your neighbor and your neighborhood. And then engage relationship with them based on where they're at and what their interest is. The E stands for eat. Did you know the book of Luke, the gospel of Luke, is actually 10 meals? That Jesus is either on his way to a meal, at a meal, or headed to the next meal in the gospel of Luke. That he's literally eating his way into people's lives. And that's what we do. We teach people how to throw parties and how to open up your kitchen table and your front porch and your back porch. And that hospitality isn't entertaining people and having a perfect Martha Stewart environment to usher them around in. No, it means opening up your life and having meals together. And it's over the table that people go from being strangers to acquaintances, from acquaintances to friends, from friends to family. You with me? And then if you begin in prayer and you listen and you eat, guess what will happen? You learn how to serve people in a way that's meaningful for them. And if you do those first four things, guess what happens? Eventually you get to do the last S, which is share your story. The story of how Jesus has changed you and how the gospel changes everything. So we've been living into those rhythms. And it's been amazing. Like over the last five years, now we have this little microchurch. It's been a pure missionary endeavor. We have 17 people following Jesus together in our neighborhood. And one of the things that we do, yeah, go God. And actually, in, in Shawnee, where we live, in a three-mile stretch, we have 10 neighborhoods with microchurches now. And we have similar networks in Overland Park and in Bonner and in Piper. God's doing this, like, yeast in the dough thing. It's been really fun. But I want to tell you about a particular moment that happened uh, last summer that really embodies what the armor of God looks like when a community is living into it and wearing it. Uh, one of our neighbors who met Jesus at our kitchen table about two and a half years ago, that particular Wednesday, our microchurch was gathered around a meal on Wednesday night where we, do, uh, we read the Bible together and discuss it and we pray for one another and we plan for mission in our neighborhood, which means what's the next party going to be, right? And, uh, but that night, she wasn't doing well. Um, she'd been flourishing in her faith, but that, that night she was filled with fear and anxiety. What had happened is her boss at work had been doing some unethical things with a major account, what you could call cooking the books, and that had been discovered. And her boss's boss came in to meet with that entire department and said, uh, we're looking closely at all of this, but it's possible in order for us to maintain credibility with this major account, we may have to clear, clear out this whole department, which was code for it's possible you're all going to lose your jobs. She's a single mom with a 15-year-old son. And she was losing sleep. And she told us the whole story of the night. And she's like, I haven't done anything unethical. I didn't know about this. I may lose my job. I can't sleep. I'm so afraid. And what we began to do as a community is, first of all, we practice the belt of truth. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. So we started out by empathizing because we all know what it's like to be freaked out in a scary situation, right? And so we told, we're like, we get your fear, we get your anxiety. I'm so sorry that this is happening to you. And then, then we began to speak the truth over her. I remember uh, one person said to her, okay, Lori, listen, God is great. So you don't have to be in control. 
He's got this. He's got you. He can use, he can turn even the worst stuff and recycle it and use even the worst stuff for good in your life. And then someone else said to her, and also remember that your boss isn't actually your boss. Jesus is your boss. And he's a better boss. He's good. He's faithful. He's got your back. You can trust him. And to be honest, it wasn't really sinking in. It was kind of bouncing off of her. But we kept just trying to speak the truth in love gently over her. And then she sort of stopped the conversation for a minute. She said, guys, you don't understand. I'm a single mom. I don't have a backup plan. I, I don't have, I'm all alone in this. And then someone else in our, in our microchurch said, no, you're not alone. We're family. We're with you. And if you need help, we're going to be here. If that means helping to pay bills or buying groceries, you can count on us. Do you see how that's the belt of truth? And the whole time, the way we do our microchurch gatherings, the kids are with us. So there's a little girl named Brooklyn who was six years old, and she was sitting on the floor during this whole conversation. We were out on a porch outside, and she was feverishly coloring. She's actually quite the artist for a six-year-old. And it got to the point where we were going to just pray over Lori. And she said, excuse me, excuse me, Miss, Miss Lori, that's the name of my neighbor. She said, I have something for you. And she walked over to Lori and she gave her this picture. And it was a picture she had drawn of Jesus. And it was like he had light coming from him. He had his hand on Lori. And on the top of it, it said, Jesus loves you. And Brooklyn said, Miss Lori, you don't have to be afraid. Jesus loves you from a six-year-old. And somehow, when Brooklyn brought her faith, that, that set something loose inside of Lori. And I could just see it. You could see the fear and the anxiety start to, to melt. And you could just see her whole body posture started to just relax. And she just started crying. And we laid hands on her and prayed for her. And see that right there. That's the feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. And it was also the best prayer of righteousness, a community living rightly together. And we had this time of prayer that was so amazing, and the presence of God was so palpable. That's what the armor of God looks like. Are you with me? It's a community living together, speaking the truth in love over one another, living rightly together, and then... What we're looking at today is raising the shield of faith. See, what does it look like when a community of God's people raise their shields together? Well, it looks like this. I think this is what our community looked like that night out on Lori's porch. And see, what this is, is a Roman legion with their shields locked. And listen to this passage, our main passage for today. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. See, that night on that deck, that's what we looked like. And when Brooklyn locked in her shield, there were no more holes for the enemy to penetrate through. It was a six-year-old who was the hero that night. Don't you love it? The six-year-old is the one God used to bring the breakthrough. And see, what Paul is saying is this. We need to live in this kind of formation. This is called the testudo formation. And testudo actually means tortoise. Kind of looks like that, right? And this is the shield formation commonly used by Roman legions, especially when they were in a siege battle. 
And this would have been the image that Paul had in his mind when he was writing Ephesians 6. Because this was the shield formation they used tactically when there were fiery arrows and flaming missiles. This is how they protected themselves. And what Paul is saying here in this passage is that demonic evil's main game is an air war. They are launching flaming arrows and missiles left and right. And a little earlier in the passage, Paul describes it another way. He says, put on the full armor of God so you can take your what? Your stand against the devil's schemes. So first of all, you have to stand to use that shield. You see the size of it? And the schemes are equivalent to those fiery arrows. One lexicon describes it this way. It's crafty scheming with the intent to deceive. So you need to get your head around this. When we think of spiritual warfare, a lot of us go back to the imagery of World War II, where you have these armies that are equal and opposite, and they meet on the field of battle, on land or on air or sea. But that's not Paul's imagery. See, the devil was already defeated by Jesus' death and resurrection. Can I get an amen? Amen. In another book, he says that Jesus has made a public spectacle of them through the cross and through the resurrection. So the evil one is a defeated enemy. So I want you to think about this. Think about modern warfare. There's one dominant military superpower in the world today. Canada. No, us, the United States. So if you're ISIS or Al-Qaeda or Russia, how do you actually fight America? You don't try to meet us on the field of battle, equal and opposite armies on land, air, or sea, but through what military theorists call dirty war or disinformation campaign. The KGB literally coined this phrase disinformation. You flood the internet with lies, you hack, you release emails, you capitalize on fake news, you foment the anger of this group against the other group toward one another, you fuel uh, fear in people. This is fascinating, if you've done any research on this. I read this on Wired. Russia has troll farms with bots and algorithms that can work out, get this, based on big data, your Google search history, your social media habits, what you're afraid of, and then they can work out your emotional cartography to pinpoint the time of the day that you're most susceptible to emotional manipulation. And then the bot will drop in an article or a tweet into your feed to manipulate you at that particular point in time. That's what happened in the last election. So if a bot is smart enough to do that, you can bet a demonic spiritual force is even smarter. So all that to say is the devil's fight against this is far more like a disinformation campaign or a cyber war or a terrorist insurgency than it is a conventional war. See, the battle isn't so much about geography as it is about ideology. And that's why for Paul and Jesus before him, the struggle with the devil and the spiritual forces of evil in Kansas City is not this braveheart, alpha male battle cry to go one-on-one, mano-on-mano against the demon. It's actually much more about standing with the belt of truth 
and the shield of faith in front of you as these fiery missiles of disinformation are coming from the evil one towards us. So there's two ideas about raising the shield that I want you to get. Here's the first one. Raising the shield of faith is first about where you will take your stand. The command to stand is repeated not once, but four times. In other words, stand, 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 and if you weren't paying attention, stand. And the Greek word for stand could also be translated as to pitch a tent. In other words, when he's saying, take your stand, it's not so much about the posture, sitting versus standing, as it is about place. Where are you going to pitch your tent? Where are you going to take your stand and lay down your shield of faith? In other words, what ideology are you standing on? What are you putting your faith into? You see, as the followers of Jesus, there's one place that we take a stand, and that is in the person of Jesus and the scriptures as they are interpreted through the lens of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection. And Paul is saying, that's where you need to stand with all your faith, with all your trust, with all your being. Place yourself on the sure and solid foundation of Jesus Christ. And as he's revealed in the scriptures... And again, the imagery here of a Roman shield, it would have been this large shield that was wrapped in leather. And then right before they go into battle, they soak that shield in water. So it's just totally immersed. Why? Because when the flaming arrows come and hit that wet shield, they're extinguished. So what would the water be for us that we need to immerse our shield and our soul in? Well, that's revealed in Ephesians chapter 5, verse 26. Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word. We need to let Jesus wash our minds in the water of the word, to soak our souls in the gospel of Jesus Christ and in the scriptures, to let it go to the deepest levels of our being. And I want to ask you, can you name one area where you aren't believing or applying what Jesus said? Can we all just say yes, right? I mean, we are all unbelievers in some area. And here's what it means to take your stand with the shield of faith. It means that you trust that Jesus is right about everything. And that you're willing to admit that I am an unbeliever. I believe, but I have unbelief. And we all have these areas of our life where we don't trust Jesus' words. And we don't believe that what Jesus has done is enough to deal with our past, present, and future problems. And those areas are where we believe the disinformation campaign of the evil one. And it is in that very area where we are vulnerable. Where we need to move from unbelief to belief and practice. So can you name that one area? Just... Like almost like a headline. Maybe for you it's finances, or maybe it has to do with your sexuality, or maybe it has to do with a certain habit like deception. And don't feel any shame or condemnation right now. What is that one area? And what if this week you actually went to the scriptures, to the gospels in particular, and, and discovered what did Jesus have to say about that? And then more than that, actually meet with Jesus and say, Jesus, I want to follow you. I want to go on this journey from unbelief to belief and practice. 
decide to surrender that area to him in prayer and say to him, Lord, show me what it is to believe and how to live in this area of life. I trust you. But here's the thing, you can't do that alone. And here's the last thing I want to leave, leave you with. See, raising the shield of faith means no one stands alone. Can we show that to studio formation one more time? Can we bring that up? See, you can't do that alone. You need a microchurch. You need a small group. You need a gang of people. See, your faith is not sufficient. You need other people's faith. Or you will be hit by those fiery arrows. Because, you know, what? your side and your six are open. If you don't have that community of faith and see I want to encourage you, if right now your experience of Heartland has been this amazing, powerful, gathered space, that is awesome. But you need more than a crowd. You need a community where you can lock shields together. You need a place where you are known and needed. And that's why starting point for some of you, the Spirit of God is inviting you to step out of the crowd and explore community. What do it mean to put yourself and stand in belief in Jesus and what it means to trust him in all of life and then not to do it alone, but with a community of faith, a microchurch, a life group, a, a, a gang, a legion of people who share your faith and amplify your faith. And we need this because no one stands alone. I don't know if you've ever been to the Redwood Forest in California. They are spectacular. I'll show you a picture of my wife. When you're out there and these trees are shooting up 300 feet in the air, the skyscrapers of nature, you feel like a hobbit. You feel so tiny and so small. And here's something I discovered that absolutely fascinated me. The Redwoods, do you know they actually have very shallow root systems? In fact, a strong storm could easily knock the redwood down. But here's why they don't fall, or very rarely happens, because their roots grow together. They grow in clusters. Their roots intertwine. And they share nutrients, and they share information. They actually live in community. And here's what I want us to see. We're all too shallow to stand alone. Are you with me? But when we have a community of faith and the roots of our lives intertwine and we lock our shields together, Jesus said, even the gates of hell will not prevail against us. We are unstoppable. We are virtually impenetrable. And Jesus wants that for each one of you. And I wonder if you'd just take a moment and bow your heads with me. We'll be quiet and still for a moment. I just want to ask that you would um, remind yourself that Jesus is fully present here. It might be helpful just to picture him in your mind because he is fully present here. I want to ask that you would just open yourself up to consider this question. You know, what's one area where right now you're vulnerable to the disinformation campaign of the evil one? What's one area where you know if you're just really honest there's unbelief there and there's lack of practice there and, and you're starting to see the consequences of that. Maybe for you, if it's finances, you can just, in your mind's eye, picture a dollar bill or a checkbook. 
Like whatever that area is right now, whatever God brings to mind by his spirit, try to see a symbol for that particular area. And I'm going to pray for us, and I want to invite you to just, even if you have just a little bit of faith, just a mustard seed, that's all it takes, Jesus said. I want to invite you to hand that over to Jesus. Lord Jesus, I know all across this room, you see each one of us as individuals. You know us all the way down. And you know that top area where you would want to bring freedom from unbelief and move us into a place of trust in you and a place of practice and growing freedom and maturity. And if it's in your heart right now, I just encourage you to to hand that over to Jesus. Invite him into that particular part of your life. And Lord Jesus, I pray for every single person right now that's doing that, that you would help them this week to go to the scriptures. Give them grace to actually dig in this week and and find what you have to say, what your word has to say about that area and begin to read those passages and meditate on those. And Lord, help them to meet with you. Give them the grace to pray in a very relaxed and intimate and safe way with you, to ask for your help, your coaching, your leadership. And then Lord, I pray for each one of them that you would lead them to some trusted disciples, some trusted men and women of faith where they can be vulnerable and open and share that flaw and learn from one another. And I want to pray that you continue to help Heartland as a community to become a collection of these spiritual extended families where people are living together and locking shields together and living rightly with one another behind that breastplate of righteousness and putting on the belt of truth together by speaking the truth and love over one another and living into the gospel of peace and finding themselves ready to follow you in every way that you lead. And this I ask in the name of Jesus. Amen.